Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Avra Martin, who is the Chief of Staff, which is important because that's what we're going to talk about, and Head of Research Operations and Strategy at ServiceNow. I'm really excited to dig into this sort of new role within research operations and uh, your role in it. So thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I've got JH here, too. Yeah, the fun thing with the podcast is always covering new ground and... Um... Chief of Staff for Research is a new one. I haven't, I'm not very familiar with this at all, so I'm excited to dig in. Yeah, as usual, we uh, don't have to play dumb. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for being here. Really excited to uh, dig into this. So we're going to dive deep into this Chief of Staff role in research operations context. But let's back up a little bit and talk about how'd you get here in this role? You probably didn't, this is not your first job. So how'd you get here and why are you excited about it? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. I know we were preparing on what to talk today. Wow, when I went through the episode blog of all the things y'all have talked about, I'm like, I don't think there's anything new. <laughs> so this is this is this is my offering, but definitely not my first job. And for those of of you that are listening that have heard me speak before, I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna go back because I, I feel like I've talked about my career journey a lot. It's something that's like super important to me when it comes to research operations, because I I believe strongly in having really diverse research operations teams. And so Mm -hmm. I think that those expertise come from really different places from across different fields. My early beginnings is actually in formal academics, university academics. I literally did every role you can imagine over a 15-year tenure in academics, from being a student research associate to a study coordinator while getting my master's and my PhD in marriage and family therapy. And then I did a postdoc in geriatric psychiatry that was funded by the National Institute of Health. And I spent my early career studying schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, and successful aging. Somewhere during my postdoc, I became really kind of disillusioned with the the prospect of having a career in academics, and I moved into executive leadership and became the director of the geriatric psychiatry department at UCSD, um, where I spent about four and a half years, and that's where I got really, really excited about that intersection between research and operations. So at that time, I was overseeing, you know, about 20 different studies at any given time, some very small pilot studies, some large multi-million dollar uh, NIH grants. And I got really into, you know, what does it look like from a resourcing perspective? How how are we dealing with timelines when it comes to grant writing to make sure that we have funding so we can maintain the staff that we have? So, you know, kind of all of that intricacies about what makes a business run. When I decided to depart from academics, I... I really just got very lucky <laughs> that I ended up at ServiceNow Research Operations. I've, I've been at ServiceNow for four years. It was really an emerging field at the time. And so a buddy got me hooked up with the with the gentleman who was running research, the UX research team at the time. And he's like, hey, there's this new role. And, and this is this is how I ended up at ServiceNow. Over the last four years, um, you know, built our research operations from scratch. At one point in time, I was also managing one of our UX research teams that focused on AI solutions across our product portfolio. So that really gave me a a really beautiful look into the day-to-day life of our UX researchers what the you know what the model across the plc was with our you know product management partners our engineering partners our design partners like how we really collaborate and then you know in, in the middle of the year we welcomed a new vp of ux research to service now and mm-hmm. i stepped into this chief of staff role so that's 
a five minute introduction to how I ended up here today. Awesome. So you said you stepped into that role. So that that's a newly created role at ServiceNow. Is that right? It is a newly created. I mean, it's a newly created role for UX research specifically. We have a model where most of the VPs at ServiceNow do have a chief of staff. We have had a chief of staff for our head, our global head of design, Amy Loki, for the last few years. And so I think as organizations grow and warrant a VP, then they also warrant a chief of staff to make sure that we are keeping kind of those strategic initiatives moving at any given time. Got it. So are you one-to-one cool. with the VP of research ops? Okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. Great. Yeah. VP um, of, of UX research. Yeah. Okay. Got it. You were kind of talking about how when you joined ServiceNow, it was the more like the beginning of research operations, which is funny because Jason and I have both been here for just call it five years. And it's really been during that time, you really have seen research ops take off. So it's interesting that you would say that it's definitely been what we've observed as well. Incredible. I mean, I feel like I'm tremendously blessed that, you know, I feel like it really kind of emerged like maybe the year before that a year, before, you know, in the, in the two mm-hmm. years before mm-hmm. I came to service. Yeah. now with yeah. you know with the work on the eight pillars of research operations because as an academic like I lean heavily on that mm-hmm. literature because I was like mm-hmm. I, I don't know you know coming from academics you do the same thing that people have done for a hundred years not because it makes sense it's just what you do so like to have just like this blank slate is just wild and so thank goodness for the pioneers of research operations thank you all for laying the groundwork and and helping me figure out what to do to get up to speed um you know i was the first person in research ops at at service now and that now there's i guess there's 11 of us on our research ops team so cool and so you were in the research ops role help you know getting it founded and then this role opens up is this something you were like jumping at of like oh this is like perfect evolution or is it more of like people realized you'd be a really good fit for it. And, and how does it fit in with the rest of the, the user research team and, and the research ops team? Yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of a natural progression. I would say um, you look at kind of a textbook definition of chief of staff. It's a lot of the, the things that I was already doing in my role. And so this felt like a nice natural progression as our organization matured. You know, as I when I began at ServiceNow, we were about 10 folks. We are a research team about about 105 today. And mm-hmm. so we've really grown both in size and maturity over time. So I think there was there was kind of a natural need there. I think that there, in a chief of staff role, I think operations is one component of it is how do you keep this business running? And then I think there is that, I think there's the strategy piece, which is, not only how do we keep the business running, but how do we really start to prepare for the future? And what what is this organization going to look like in three years, five years? How do we create the right infrastructure to do that? How do we how do we create the right relationships to do that? And so I think I already kind of had that forward forward looking idea. And so I mean I jumped at this opportunity. This is definitely where I saw my career going. So it's exciting that that it actually became possible. You were in early on the research ops movement, right? You were saying, you know, nascent kind of leaning on the early people who broke the ground on it, but then you, you know, were also in the role earlier than most. Do you think that's going to happen again here? Is this is this chief of staff thing going to become a lot more common over the coming years? Absolutely. I really think so. I mean, it's hard to say given the current climate, right? I mean, we're up against macroeconomic headwinds that we haven't seen since probably like the two, 2008 timeframe. And so I think this year is going to sh- slow down growth 
for all of us. And so, so we may see a slowed path to seeing this role emerge. But I think once we all get on our ba- our feet again and start moving back towards a growth model, as teams grow, I think that there is going to be this need to have folks in this role. In order to have an organization of 100 plus folks, um, I, I really think that you need to be thinking about some of the issues that a VP of UX research and their chief of staff are going to be working on together to really um, act as a catalyst to allow an organization to scale. So I do expect that in the next five-ish years that we're going to see this role emerging a lot more. And even if you go in and do a job search now, like you'll see a lot of uh, a more chief of staff roles emerging. Um, some of them are chief of staff to UX, chief of staff to design, but I think that chief of staff to UX research specifically, we're going to mm-hmm. see more of here soon. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you were talking about the textbook definition of chief of staff. So for, for those of us who haven't read that dictionary, <laughs> what, is that, what, is that, what is that definition? What does a chief of staff do anyhow? I think, I mean, maybe maybe this isn't the case, but for me, my first exposure to a chief of staff was probably watching the West Wing. Um, so. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I mean um, that's that's everybody's reference because right. because that that is where the idea of having a chief of staff really came from is from more political stance. Right. So when you're working in the private sector or not in the White House, anyhow, <laughs> what do you do as a chief of staff? Mm-hmm. I think you do a couple different things, and I think it's it's probably different, a little bit different for everyone, depending on the focus of their organizations. But I mean, first and foremost, you're you're the strategic partner to the VP, the SVP, the CEO, the CX per individual. <laughs> so I call them a person, and you are you're you're doing a couple different things. You are taking a broad look at the business. You are overseeing strategic initiatives that are typically going to be cross-organization, cross-company. For example, you know, we work really closely with our customer experience teams. We really, we work closely with our sales teams. We work closely with our marketing teams. And so in, in many ways, you're adding capacity and velocity to what the VP or your, your partner would be able to do as a single person. And mm-hmm. so you are the person um, who's bridging some of those relationships, keeping those initiatives moving. I am also providing you know leadership across our, our leadership belt within mm-hmm. our organization. So really helping to remove blockers for the other leaders on my team, helping them with their infrastructure, their organizational design and planning, really looking at the way that we plan for work, the way we do resourcing for our organization, the way we partner with PM engineering design over a multi-release roadmap to make sure that we have the coverage we need, really work with the team to make sure that the, the work that we're doing is creating the impact that it needs to on a product organization. And we're not just doing research for research sake. So I think at the highest level, going back to your original question, you know, what does the chief of staff do? I think they're strategic partner. Mm-hmm. I think that they are building relationships cross-organizationally, up, down, and out. I think they are are a leader within their own organization and keeping, you know, a pulse and making sure that there is health and really looking like well into the future to make sure that the organization succeeds. How important is it to have 
either domain experience or experience, you know, in that organization to be able to be a chief of staff, right? You're talking about being a strategic partner. Can you do that right out of school? Or, you know, who's, what kind of skills make you a good fit for this kind of role? Ooh, that's a great question. What makes you a good fit for this type of role? What makes you a good fit for this type of role? (laughs) I think a, a couple different things. Like, I think it is helpful that I do have research expertise. I think that mm-hmm. that that helps in understanding, you know, what we do as an organization. But more than anything, I, I really see this as as a leadership position. And I think people who have like really good leadership acumen, you know, who are able to make decisions, build relationships, see the big picture, motivate people see the 10,000 foot view, but also all of the steps that we need to get there. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think those are all skills that, that would you make you a good person for this role? I think it's an interesting role because while it's leadership, I am actually doing more work than I have in a long time where I'm actually like doing a lot of hands-on work. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this needs to get done. Okay. Let me, let me actually go in and curate this deck. Let me go ahead and, you know, make sure we're getting these columns out and, and communicating with everybody. For me, that's kind of exciting because I like to produce. So that's, that's always been the, the part of, of leadership and management. That's a little bit, a little bit tricky, but you know, I, I think, I, I don't think it's a role that you would want to take as your first job. Just, just because I, I think it is a lot of moving parts at any given time. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have some of that kind of this critical thinking, relationship building, like I think you can definitely get there. You know, fun fact about me, in addition to being a researcher, I also uh, was a clinician for a decade. And man, I lean on that so hard all the time. <laughs> In, in what ways? Like to connect with people and build relationships or does it come in, out in other forms? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, the clinician piece, like, you know, as a marriage and family therapist um, is really, yes, of course, the, the connecting building, but also like really listening, mm. like re- really listening to the organization, listening to, you know, your peer group, listening to, you know, leaders across the company and really understanding like, what drives them? Like, what is the language they're speaking? So I feel like we want to do more listening than talking and really understanding what motivates people and then speaking, speaking in their language. Um, And so I think, I think that skill comes in handy all the time. One thing you think about with ops a lot, like design ops, research ops is kind of like a ratio of, okay, once we have this many designers or this many researchers, it's probably time for some ops support. I mean, people throw out different numbers, right? But there's some some rules of thumb that kind of emerge. You mentioned, you know, once you're an organization of 100 people, 100 plus, this chief of staff role becomes, you know, really valuable. Does that feel like the ratio? Do you feel like this? you all needed this role sooner than you took on it? Did you wait, you know, are you early? Like, how should teams think about that as they uh, as they do scale? That's a great question. And and one that there's actually not a lot of literature about, you know, as I was growing my, my ops org, over the years, like I've definitely looked for these data and people say anything of like one to five, one to 10 ops to researchers, you know, so I don't know if there's necessarily a right number. And as far as like when to add a chief of staff, I mean, I think it could be, I think it could really be at 
any time when when you're really trying to mature your organization and you're at an, an inflection point and you're you know like like our organization could continue to grow prob- probably at x rate without mm-hmm. this role but i think by adding this role like our reach gets further it gets broader it creates more depth breadth and so I think it gives us increased velocity to get there faster. I think it also probably helps us to remove barriers and mm-hmm. yeah, and move yeah. through problems yeah. areas quicker. So yeah, that's, that's just a really hard question to answer. I don't know if there's like a certain tipping point uh, that you need this role. I think it is probably unique to every organization. What are the no, main differences between your role now and your role before, right? Because before you were the Mm -hmm. director of research operations, is that right? And now you're the head of research operations and strategy manifests as, you know, chief of staff. What, what are the differences between what you were doing then and what you're sort of doing now? Yeah, I think, I think before I was doing a lot of work organizationally, I was doing a lot of things to really build our organization, make sure that we were operating efficiently. I'm working with my peers in the experience organization. So our team is part of the experience organization service now. So it's design product content ourselves. And now I am working a lot more broadly. So working with people across the company to really Mm -hmm. understand like how we can work together, how we can augment each other's work and really like kind of stepping into more of like a company wide leader position. And so Mm -hmm. I would say a lot more breadth of the work that I was doing and then also really trying to, to look instead of what helps us operate now is what's going to help us operate well into the future and really be that defining, you know, UX research organization across the industry. Right. So you're able to step a little more out of the day to day and think a little more zoomed out future, bigger picture. How are we mm-hmm. going to make this whole UXR operation more effective That's in, right. a, in, in a bigger way across organization. Right. Because we're talking about roles and org charts, which I love geeking out on. You are, <laughs> do you manage a team? Is this a senior level IC role? Who is leading research operations now? Yeah. So I do manage a team. It's uh-huh. a very, it, it's a smaller team. So I have four direct reports today. And then I have one, one of those is our customer engagement manager, and she has a team of six as well. So under me currently is still kind of our, our vendor management, procurement expert, et cetera, um, our insights librarian, a visual designer, and uh, our customer engagement team. What that looks like in the future, like as, as I need additional capacity is my team has really been like stepping in to kind of lead research ops kind of within their peer group as I've kind of stepped into this role. We're also considering like what can be centralized under me in the future and what what areas could potentially join some of the other operational teams that we have in our broader organization. 
So for example, we have just probably the best people and culture team in the industry as part of our experience organization. And so me really leaning on them, on their expertise when it comes to talent onboarding and those types of things. And then like we have an amazing program management team. So really leaning on them instead of trying to build these things into our operations team. So all, all things to think about in the future is how to keep everybody running as I'm in this role. A couple of times you've sort of described this role as like an accelerant, right? Like we're going to be able to get to some of these future growth milestones faster and, and you know, take some bigger steps forward. What are the ways that that like manifests? If you were thinking through like deliver X or solve Y, like what are some of the big rocks that, you know, or, or big levers that you can focus on that do provide that sort of acceleration for the UXR org? Yeah, I think it all goes back to kind of these cross company relationships that we're we're building. So, you know, if if we just had the VP of UX research, like, you know, they can only do so much in a day, they can only go and talk to so many people. And so, you know, he can kind of carry on with, you know, some of his relationships in the product organization, while I am, say, working with our CX team, you know, building the survey, partnering with their survey center of excellence to make sure that we are building a, a cross-company wide way of doing qual- quantitative research and or, you know, partnering with our sales team, our solution consultants to really figure out, like, how do we get the how, how do we reduce the barriers to customer access? I think being able to kind of run those initiatives end to end is kind of is two examples of that kind of like accelerant factor. Otherwise, those two initiatives would have been been somebody's, you know, kind of extracurricular or <laughs> or, you know, the, the add on to their their day job. So, you know, continuing to keep those things moving and and trying to, you know, make UXR a part of a lot of the company-wide efforts that that may already be in flight or we may be um, coming up with together. So you've been in this role for five months, something, something yeah, like that? Yeah, five, six yeah. months, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, relatively new in the grand scheme of things. So I'm sure in that time you figured some things out and probably have a lot of other things to still figure out. So what are some of those things? Where are you in the sort of discovering what a chief of staff looks like uh, mm-hmm. at ServiceNow? Okay. I mean, (laughs) I think, I mean, and maybe this is just like a life lesson for me is, you know, you can do anything, but not everything. So, you know, really there's so many things we could be working on. So really figuring out like, what are those core initiatives that are going to drive the most impact for the team now and really um, prioritizing those to the point that I feel like they've come to a natural completion or a place where they can kind of cruise and then moving on mm-hmm. to the next thing. So I think I think that that's one piece because it would be really easy right now, like seeing all of the amazing things we could be doing to just be trying to jump into too many things. Mm-hmm. And then I think I would probably be over-promising and under-delivering. So really picking those top like two to, two to four initiatives. Um, I think for me, like, continuing to grow like my executive presence, my comfort at, you know, working with people, you know, C-suite, SVPs, VPs, you know, that I mean, that's personally something that I'm, I'm trying to get more comfortable with and, and knowing that I have a seat at the table and that everything we do is in the interest of each other. So 
So I think that's something that that I'm really learning and growing. Well, the, take take me back to the question. It was what? Yeah, what have you learned so far, and what do you what do you sort of? There's known knowns and unknown knowns and all these. But what are you, what are your known unknowns? What are you excited to sort of figure out next in this new role? Unknowns. Oh my gosh. I think there's three. I already touched on on two of them. It's like our partner with CX and like really kind of almost starting to have more of like like a broader all service now research like committee of excellence or something because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. doing research uxr is just one piece of it removing barriers for customer engagement of course is the other and you know i i really want to i really would love to make some impact in the area of how we do planning across the product life cycle in a way that brings research and design in early i think I think we often still have a very product management engineering driven life cycle and really, really, really honing in on how we can continue to even collaborate better than we do today is something that is really of interest to me as well. Nice. Um, And you are now looking at, you know, research ops from a little bit more of a zoomed out view and thinking about, you know, how to make it even more effective. Do you have any like guesses or predictions about how research ops is going to continue to evolve. Like, you know, it's gone from the eight pillars and sort of a nascent thing to much more established and common in companies. Like what's next for research ops when you kind of look at it from your point of view? I mean, I think one area that we're going to hear a lot about over the next 18 months is anything that's governance-based. I think that's a lot of the conversations we're having right now around legal and privacy laws. GDPR in Europe, there's there's laws rolling out on January 1, different states in California about how people need to opt in, opt out to any surveys, communications from companies. You know, I think we're, we're in a place where people's privacy is of the utmost importance. And I think it's something that we're really going to have to start thinking about more and more and more, um, you know, as, as UX research and design, I, I know sometimes we like, you know, our scrappy gorilla type methods, and it's not going to be as easy as just like reaching out to random people anymore because people can, can have some legal ramifications on mm-hmm. that. So I think that that's going to be an expertise that we're going to see emerge in research operations teams. And then, you know, I would love to see people really dipping into this idea of having an insights librarian. I'm starting to see it more and more like actual job postings around insights librarians, Mm -hmm. but like they are like the backbone of what we do. Like just putting insights in a repository is not enough, like making sure that it's usable, has good information architecture, you know, that Mm -hmm. it is archived appropriately, that we're, you know, retaining data based on our policies, and then really using those insights to drive product decisions and roadmap decisions. Like, I think it's going to be just one of the, the critical roles in research operations in the future. We had um, a librarian and research ops person from Facebook on once, and the the love for the librarian was just so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, made really my nerdy through. heart just sing. Yeah, it was great. So, law- shout out to lawyers and librarians. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, we were then- doing. Uh, we did a research readout today, and we had the little emoji people with P one, P two. We've definitely very much evolved in terms of our privacy uh, practices here. So your oh, little yeah. stormtrooper back there. We'll just make everyone anonymous uh, stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. The compliance stuff makes a lot of sense. Like to your point, it's becoming more of a specialty and to do it in a way that you can navigate efficiently so you can actually keep your research going is going to become a real skill. So that I think that one makes a lot of sense. That's right. I think um, in, in, a, in a role like yours, when you're talking about operations as accelerant, right? Like making making compliance baked into processes so they're accessible. So it's right second nature to, to be able to be compliant and then on with the task at hand, right? A million percent. And, you know, it's our responsibility to take care of our users and, and their data. And, but also, you know, we're there to protect the company as well. So trying to balance those, yeah. those two things. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think with like, you mentioned the kind of challenging macro climate and, you know, some, some yeah. downturns in the economy. Did something Do you happen? think, <laughs> yeah, something happened. Uh, <laughs> So many things. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you up, Aaron. Do you think that makes research ops like more valued in orgs because they drive some efficiency for all these other people? Or is it going to be like looked at as like an expense of, you know, this is another headcount and it's going to be harder to get? Like any sense on like how people think of the value there and, and how that might get impacted? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I could only speak to, to service now. And, you know, we definitely see the value in research operations as part of our organization. Um, I think it increases the efficiency of everyone. It, it, it allows researchers to really go and do their job <laughs> instead right. of, you know, managing all of the day-to-day uh, operations of running a business. Because that's essentially, especially as your organization grows, like you are kind of your own small business. And so there's a lot of those hygiene type activities that researchers, that's not, that's not what they want to be doing with their day, you know? So I think, um, I think anybody who has had a research operations professional in their organization probably sees the value of research operations, looking at the amount of job postings that are out there and the amount of peers that I now know in the industry. I don't think this is going away. And I think people know that in order to um, have kind of a, an efficient, well-oiled UXR organization, operations is one of those, those key factors. Mm-hmm. In- with this being a unique role, you know, you reference a bunch of things that you're developing and solving and, and working on. Where do you go for support? Do you find, you know, chiefs of staff in other departments and, and connect with them as kind of peers? Do you find other research leaders and, and there's enough overlap there? Or like, have you figured that part of it out or have any ideas? I'm just figuring that part of it out now. I have been able to tap into a few new mentors in the field, both within ServiceNow and external to ServiceNow, who have been in chief of staff roles. So really leaning on them. I mean, the interesting thing that is every chief of staff that I have spoken to, they all have different tidbits and they all ran their chief of staff role a little bit differently. And so I think like gleaning different different parts of their experience to then kind of integrate into what I'm doing is, is the best I've done so far. And then, you know, I, I think just, I think the relationship with, with whoever you're partnered with as a chief of staff, like I, I'm very blessed, like my VP um, has had several chiefs of staff before. And so like, we're constantly talking about like, what are the needs? What is the role? What, what's a potential growth area, et cetera. So it's always interesting when, when a new role emerges, where you actually get kind of that mentorship to continue to mm-hmm. grow in your career. Do you shadow your VP, like, are you with them in most of their meetings or how do you, how do you work together? Uh, we, we are in a lot of meetings yeah, together. Yeah. 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 I would imagine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, especially anything that is in the kind of infancy stage, we typically are meeting with people together, really understanding kind of like the scope, you know, building that relationship, thinking about what the partnership will look like in the future. And then a lot of times he will kind of start to drop off and I will continue to carry that mm-hmm. relationship forward, that, that partnership forward. And then, you know, there are certain things that like I've gone to meetings and then he continues to drive forward. So um, I would say we're, we're like a good design diamond, right? We're going <laughs> to converge, diverge, uh-huh. but but we do spend a, a fair bit of time together in meetings. Yeah. So pro tip, make sure you uh, like your like your person. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is literally critical. It, it really is kind of like a head and neck situation. And so I think if the if if there's not a solid relationship there, I don't know if it if it's gonna work. I was just gonna say, like on that head and neck thing, how does that work from like an alignment perspective? So are you challenging <laughs> one another on like strategy and thoughts and using each other's sounding boards, or is it more like you're in lockstep on a lot of things? Like how does that manifest in kind of like some of these you know big you know strategic questions and decisions that are going on? It's both. It's both. I mean, I would say probably 80% of the time we're pretty aligned on, you know, our ideas, the vision, you know, even the way that we communicate. Like yesterday there was an email and he responded before me and I was like, damn it, he already used my words. But I think the real like richness is, is when you don't agree, you know, and, and is having that trust in the relationship to challenge it. And, you know, share your thoughts. And I think then it's one of those moments where, and I said this to members of my team today, they're just an absolute dream team, where like the the sum is greater than the parts, where it's like we're really pushing each other's thinking forward and keeping each other honest and and really thinking of all the possibilities. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, but like, I think the challenging, like each other is the most important piece. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Especially, I think, you know, for very senior executives and larger organizations, probably not a ton of people in their orbit that feel comfortable doing some of that stuff. So when you have that kind of relationship and you're in a lot of the same meetings, you have similar context and can have that trust to operate and have like honest, you know, critical conversations, it's it's probably a really powerful resource for them. Huge. Yeah. And you, you hear that a lot now about certain you know, executives of social media companies who shall not be named, who like don't have that person in their life to be like, this doesn't seem like a very good idea. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, everyone kind of needs that. So don't um, do that. Yeah, yeah. We all need that. Um, well, I think as we're recording this, we're heading, you know, toward the very, very end of the year. Uh, and I think it will almost certainly be the new year when this airs. So, what are you? Uh, looking forward to next year or any predictions or uh, chief of staff resolutions? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> what am I looking for in, forward to in 2023? Before we started recording, I was, I was telling y'all that we got together as a leadership team just last week for three mm-hmm. days. There's 18 of us now leaders in our, our research organization. And I'm really looking forward to more of that. I'm, I'm really, really hoping that 2023 is the year that we can bring people together a little bit more. Um, I think that just the momentum you can get in three days can be such a catalyst for six months of work ahead. You know, we're, we're really hoping we can have a, a UX research summit in 2023 where we bring together our team from across the globe. You know, we have... Mm-hmm. We have 105 people and I think like something like seven countries. And so, um, you know, the ability to bring people together, I think would be huge. So yeah. that, that's my hope for 2023. 
good. That's a good hope for all of us. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been very educational for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people I know, a lot of researchers and research-adjacent folks are thinking about their careers always and, and uh, certainly heading into the new year. So thanks so much.